Well, good morning and welcome to Wednesday. Marcus Paul in the morning. Nice to have your company, whether you're tuned in live on starterfm.com.au or, of course, on your favourite listening app, the iHeartRadio app, or tune in. Nice to know you there. I hope you're well, I hope you're dry, and I hope you got through yesterday. A state of emergency situation with the floods. Well, uh, it's like Groundhog Day, isn't it? Uh, yesterday, we saw a number of areas around Sydney evacuated. A state of emergency declared uh, across various areas across New South Wales, even up again around uh, those northern rivers areas that copped it really bad last week. But uh, sadly, it all turned deadly yesterday in Sydney's western suburbs in Wentworthville where police pulled two bodies from floodwaters. An east coast low continues to cause significant rainfall over Sydney and its surrounds, and authorities are continuing to warn that it's expected to continue for an extended period. Well, just how long is this going to go on for? Thousands of people in uh, people in Sydney's southwest were ordered to leave their homes as rising waters sparked chaos late on Monday night. I'll go through the latest on the floods for you. Uh, Also, uh, yesterday, as you know, was International Women's Day. And how did we celebrate it? Well, this story caught my attention. Women are set to miss out on superannuation payments. Super will not be added to taxpayer-funded parental leave payments after the federal government rejected a plan from its own retirement Uh, income reviewers and that effectively will leave hundreds of thousands of Australian women to face being worse off in their savings if they choose to have children. Yeah, on International Women's Day, I'll go through that story very soon. Andrew Constance, uh, former New South Wales Minister, look I have been very critical of Andrew Constance over the last couple of years. I think he dropped the ball terribly in his uh, portfolio of transport for New South Wales with all the issues with the trains and the ferries and, uh, of course, the light rail in the inner west of Sydney. But, look, Andrew has made news in the last 24 hours. He's had a go at the uh, federal government saying that the response... In New South Wales, well, I guess he's having a crack at all levels, but he says the response to disasters is still too slow. Now, Andrew Constance, we know that his bigger electorate was devastated by fires a couple of years ago. He says the state's disaster response has not improved since those black summer bushfires, and we must get better at reaching people quickly as natural disasters become more frequent. I'll go through that story for you a little later this morning as well. I'll get through some of your feedback. There is a new way that you can make contact with the program as well, and that's via a new email address. So it's marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. All right, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. You can send me an email. Maybe there's something on your mind. Maybe there's someone that you might uh, think I could consider interviewing. Uh, Whatever issue it is, even if you just want to send a note to say hello, uh, get in contact with me that way. All right, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. All the news and your views, some great music for you this morning. Uh, And of course, we will cross to Air News and get the latest on the flooding situation throughout the course of the morning. It's great to have your company on this Wednesday, March the 9th. Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, as I mentioned in the intro, unfortunately, uh, Sydney's big wets, the ongoing flooding situation has now turned deadly. Police pulling two bodies from floodwaters in Wentworthville in the city's western suburbs yesterday morning. As thousands of people in Sydney's southwest were ordered to leave their homes as rising waters sparked chaos. From Windsor and Richmond through to the Penrith region, across to Wallachia, and of course, really badly hit was the southwest of Sydney, around that Liverpool area, into Camden, many road closures there, water over roadways, flooded creeks, flooded rivers, and in general, just chaos. I mean, I don't know, it's been horrible, people trying to get to work in the last two, three days with the big wet as well. We've had um, problems on Sydney's trains, timetables, well and truly out of whack and people finding it very difficult to get to work. In fact, uh, there was a recommendation 
that unless you absolutely had to travel into the office, that you you know shouldn't worry about it. Maybe try and work from home. Look, the Premier Dominic Perrottet says the Hawkesbury and Nepean Rivers flooding is worse in some parts than it was last March when it was deemed then a crisis. The Premier has defended the response of his government and the Australian Defence Force to flooding across the state, saying that they're dealing with widespread carnage. He said, and I quote, let us not forget that what we have had is a substantial catastrophe in the Northern Rivers. We have a crisis here in other parts of the state as well. Of course, it is all hands on deck, all areas of government working together. And the best thing you can do right across our state is to follow those instructions. And please do not drive through floodwaters. Yeah, I was listening uh, across the airwaves yesterday and hearing a number of cab drivers and professional drivers calling through saying that they couldn't believe uh, what they were seeing. So many people taking on floodwaters. Look, I myself was caught in floodwater on Monday night uh, when I was travelling back from uh, the Hunter area after having a chat with Isaac Butterfield. Uh, I got all the way to uh, a place called Blacksland Crossing at Wallachia only to be turned around because the river was up and it was overflowing and uh, the bridge was closed. So I had to head all the way down through Camden onto a place called the Oaks and add an extra hour for my travel time. But adding an extra hour, even though it was a pain and it took me forever to get home, at least I got home safely in that pouring rain on Monday night. There's no way on earth I would consider taking on floodwaters. It only takes a second for things to go wrong and the next thing you know, you could well find yourself in real trouble. And of course, as I mentioned, we have already had a couple of deaths in the flooding in Sydney in the last 24 hours and I think 13 now is the total elsewhere around Australia with the recent flooding events. There are more than 900 Australian Defence Force personnel on the ground in the Northern Rivers as they continue to assist with the clean-up. Now, the response to the disaster has been too slow, according to former New South Wales Minister Andrew Constance. I'll talk about him very soon, but look, it's, it's difficult. Dominic Perrottet and his government certainly are facing another challenge. Uh, Mr Perrottet said there should now be around 1,300-odd people from the Australian Defence Force on the ground uh, by later this morning. There we go. Now, Dean Narramore, who's from the Bureau of Meteorology, is urging people to follow orders issued by authorities. He said yesterday, or last night, the rain is continuing across large parts of the metropolitan area, into the Hunter and southwards into the Illawarra. Since nine o'clock yesterday morning, we saw up to 100 millimetres in the northern suburbs, and that is pushing up toward the central coast. Uh, Flash flooding in many areas, of course, and as the rain and the pressure system moves north in the coming days, there'll be warnings for intense rainfall that is likely to lead to life-threatening and dangerous flash flooding. That's what the bureaus had to say about it. Of course, Manly Dam spilled yesterday. There was an evacuation order affecting thousands of people. The dam located in Manly Vale on the northern beaches... And the order affected some 800 homes and around 2,000 people. Northern Beaches Council say the Freshwater Surf Lifesaving Club is open for people whose homes have been inundated or those who have been forced to evacuate. Now, the Manly SES unit is also warning people in low-lying areas to be ready to evacuate should the need occur. Now, in Sydney's north, there was a deluge of rain yesterday with in excess of 130 millimetres falling at Mossman in the six hours to 1.30 in the afternoon. Uh, Look, chaos absolutely on the roads and authorities are repeatedly telling people not to get behind the wheel. If it's an emergency and you have to drive, well, you just need to keep in mind there are many, many road closures, far too many for me to go through here. But of course, um, livetraffic.com.au is where you need to uh, get onto 
uh, to get the latest traffic and the latest information on road closures. That's usually updated every couple of minutes. Well, the rainfall, as I mentioned, the stats, just incredible, leading to this flash flooding and these evacuations in the Sydney metropolitan area. In excess of 80 millimetres of rainfall at Lambie to 1.30 yesterday afternoon, nearly 80 millimetres at Forestville to 1.30. So I mentioned parts of Manly were underwater around the Nolan Reserve area. And of course, even further north, the Maclay River continues to steadily rise at Kempsey, where Riverside Park and parts of the car park there were already underwater overnight. Now, the SES also issued an evacuation order for low-lying parts of the Kempsey CBD, Eden Street, and areas east of the railway line up north to Fredericton. Evacuation orders were also in place for low-lying properties in Lower McLean communities and the town of Crokey. Oh, dear. Look, I hope you remain safe. Please use your common sense. Never, ever take on floodwaters. Thank you to the angels in orange, as I call them, those in the SES who've worked tirelessly, sandbagging, evacuating people and looking after properties and road closures and all the rest of it. Thank you also to first responders, police and the ambos and every fireys, everybody involved in keeping us safe through this current emergency. Please take it nice and easy. Let's hope. Let's keep our fingers crossed. We see a change in the weather later today. The Bureau says hopefully the worst will be behind us. Uh, We can only hope so. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back. Nice to have your company on this Wednesday, March 9. Thank you to everybody making contact with us. Don't forget new email address, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. Marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. G'day to those who are listening to us live on the Starter FM webpage and also on the iHeart and TuneIn radio apps. Look, before I move on from the flooding disaster... Uh, which has overtaken uh, Sydney, New South Wales and South East Queensland in the last week or two. I have to mention Andrew Constance, the former New South Wales minister whose electorate was devastated by fires. Remember? Just back a couple of years ago, I mean, he was in the thick of it down there in Bega and other areas as those horrific bushfires ripped through his neck of the woods, taking many homes and sadly some lives as well. Uh, Well, Andrew, he suffered some mental health issues after that, and he uh, also uh, received, and I I, I applauded him at the time, for being there front and centre, covered in soot and ash and all the rest of it, trying to do the best thing he could for his community at the time. Anyway, so he's no, what I'm saying is he's no stranger to uh, what it takes to be resilient in times of national emergencies. And, and this is absolutely a state of emergency with the ongoing flood situation. But Andrew Constant says that New South Wales's disaster response has not improved since the Black Summer bushfires, and we must get better at reaching people quickly as natural disasters become more frequent. As locals question the speed and the adequacy of a Defence Force deployment to desperate, flood-stricken towns in northern New South Wales, military experts said the Australian Defence Force needed a new disaster response team that could act faster and soldiers who were neither trained nor equipped for the task. Well, that makes sense. Mr Constance, who of course is now running for federal parliament, joined a community leaders, a joint community leaders rather, in calling for an independent commissioner to lead recovery and flood conscious rebuilding, a job some likened to the reconstruction of Darwin, for goodness sake, after the city was flattened by Cyclone Tracy. But uh, look, one thing I will say in response so far to this is, do we not have a, a person that's supposed to be looking after resilience? I mean, what's Shane Fitzsimmons' uh, role in all of this? Surely he would play that role that Andrew Constance is mentioning here. Now, insurance assessors, they've entered the flood zone on the north coast where, uh, I guess a week or so ago, the emergency began. There are estimates that more than 2,000 homes right now are uninhabitable. 
and an extra 1,300 defence personnel are due to arrive, well, if they haven't overnight, certainly sometime this morning. Prime Minister Scott Morrison has described the recovery task as almost unimaginable. Residents are returning as floodwaters recede, surveying damage and salvaging what they can from sodden houses. And, of course, the stench up there. It pervades low-lying areas. We've got dead animals still lying in the water, and some residents have been offered tetanus shots as a result. All right, well, some communities have initiated their own relief efforts. Town halls are full of donated items and packs of water. I mean, that's just the Australian spirit, isn't it? That happens each and every time we undergo some sort of emergency, whether it's a bushfire or a flood or otherwise. Uh, We see the best in Australians and we see the best in community, uh, which is something that will always happen regardless. I've noticed that uh, individuals are also driving around offering food and holding sausage sizzles, feeding those who are homeless at the moment. Councils have begun clearing piles of waterlogged possessions, helped by the Mud Army, I like that, Mud Army of Volunteers. And some of these volunteers come from places interstate, including the Gold Coast. Now, in Lismore, at least four schools are waterlogged and may not operate for the rest of the year, we're told. Only two pharmacies and two supermarkets were spared from the flood. So, in other words, you've got 40,000 people trying to access food from just two supermarkets. That's going to be tough. And, of course, those supermarkets, as you would imagine, are probably already stripped bare. Andrew Constance, whose former seat of Bega was savaged by the Black Summer fires in 2019-20, said the first priority should be meeting the physical and emotional needs of those affected. But in terms of getting that aid to those who need it quickly, nothing has changed since the fires, according to Andrew Constance. Nothing's changed. He said yesterday, I feel people are looking for change, looking for how we do things differently and how we learn from each event. The cycle on these things is going to speed up. Now, Mr Constant said the government should appoint an independent head of the recovery and rebuilding effort, similar to the appointment of Major General Mick Slater to lead the response to Cyclone Yazi in Queensland. While Resilience New South Wales, well, okay, so that they are involved, they are tasked with disaster recovery. It is a government agency. Yeah, well, again, is there any need to to double and triple up on these things? Why can't Resilience New South Wales fulfil this role that Andrew Constance is talking about? It's really important that there be someone independent of government, though, um, according to Andrew Constance, to manage the community rebuild and at the same time ensuring that they can cut across all public sector agencies to make sure everyone is supported. Well, I guess there's merit in that, and Andrew Constance, I see, has the support of a couple of mayors up there in the Northern Rivers, the Mayor of Lismore, Steve Krieg, and the State Labor MP for Lismore, Janelle Safin. They agree with him. Mr Krieg said yesterday, we don't need bureaucracy, we need a benign dictator, someone who is going to take charge, make decisions, and get things done. Now, Mr Krieg said authorities should use Darwin as a model when rebuilding Lismore. When Cyclone Tracy fell Darwin in 1974, the federal government worked with scientists to develop a new set of building regulations to help homes withstand extreme storms. Well, something does need to be done because, unfortunately, with 40-odd thousand residents and, you know, a number of homes, those that are still standing... It's not as if you can just pick places like Lismore up off the map and place them further inland, away from the perils of flooding rivers. Marcus Paul in the morning. My email address to have your say, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. Nice to have you company on this Wednesday morning. Okay, well, here we are. I'll get to some of your feedback, some letters to the editor and what people are saying about the latest news for you very soon. Uh, I'll also touch again on cost of living pressures. Now, with uh, a war overseas, ongoing 
natural disasters here in Australia, including a flood, uh, the cost of living is only headed in one direction and that is up. So I'll have something to say about that. And there are fears, of course, with inflation of a rates hike. And I touched on that earlier in the week, I think on Monday's program. All we need is a slight tweak to interest rates. And those who have pretty much overcommitted themselves in a very hot property market in places like Sydney are going to find themselves in a world of trouble. Okay, well, yesterday... I hope you uh, thought about the important women in your life being International Women's Day yesterday. Uh, But I was disappointed to read a story in the Sydney Morning Herald that superannuation will not be added to paid taxpayer-funded parental leave payments. Why? Well, I don't know. The federal government rejected a plan from its own retirement income reviewer leaving hundreds of thousands of Australian women to face being worse off if they're saving, in their savings, if they actually choose to have a child. Now, I'm told that ministers were considering the measure as they canvassed options for women's economic security, but decided it wouldn't have a big enough impact for the amount of money required. Social Services Minister Anne Rustin, who sits on Cabinet's Expenditure Review Committee, uh, Committee, did not approve of the proposal. One for the girls, eh, Anne? Anyway, Retirement Income Review Chair Mike Callahan had backed the idea, saying it would have only a small benefit, but it was worth doing. Analysis from Industry Super found 1.6 million women had taken up the government-funded parental leave scheme since it was introduced a decade ago, but had missed out on $1.86 billion in super due to taking time out of the workforce. We go back to former Prime Minister Tony Abbott. He took a policy to significantly expand paid parental leave to the 2010 and 2013 elections, only to dump it when his leadership was in jeopardy. The Greens yesterday announced they wanted to expand the government-funded scheme to mirror nearly what Mr Abbott originally promised uh, back in 2010-2013. Liberal sources who spoke on the condition of remaining anonymous to discuss cabinet deliberations said the proposal to add super to parental leave had been considered but rejected. Why? Why? Uh, It's not as if we're afraid of spending money here in Australia. It's not as if we don't already have a trillion dollar debt. But uh, of course, if you are recycling money through paid parental leave, and throwing a touch of super on top, that money uh, will eventually be re-spent in the economy. So it's almost like investing for the future. Anyway, if you want to have your say on that, uh, make sure you let me know. Marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au or at the bottom of our podcast, you know, the link we put up each and every day. You can leave your comments there on, on this story and anything else that I mentioned throughout the course of the program. It's nice to have your company on this Wednesday. It is the 9th day of March. I hope you're staying dry. Marcus Paul in the morning on Starter FM and iHeartRadio. Wednesday morning. Nice to have your company. It's Marcus Paul in the morning. Time to tell you about another one of my wonderful sponsors. Don't forget, we'd love you to support those who support us here at Starter FM and Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, I've mentioned all week that workplace health and safety, WHS or occupational health and safety, depending on the state or territory you're in, is a requirement of every trading business in the country. There's no getting around it. Absolutely not. That is why your business, no matter how big or how small, needs the support from the team of Fox Safety Consulting. Workplace health and safety or occupational health and safety can be confusing and at times also frustrating. Uh, That is to know what to do and how to do it. That's why your business, no matter how big or how small, needs Fox Safety Consulting. Now at Fox Safety Consulting, Rick and his team will take the time to get to know your business and to understand how it operates. They can then provide the very best in safety for you and your workplace. 
They'll design customised practical solutions to fit your needs and make sure that your business remains importantly compliant. But equally as important, they'll keep your workers safe. Fox Safety Consulting's national network of consultants are now ready to support your safety journey. Already building a strong reputation, Fox Safety Consulting is currently working with micro-businesses all across the country, along with governments as well. Get in touch today to see how they can help you and your business. To make an inquiry, go to foxsafety.com.au and choose Fox Safety Consulting to support your safety journey. All right, well, if you want to be a uh, supporter, if you want to sponsor the program, um, the best rates in the industry, get in contact with me today. Marcus.Paul at starterfm.com.au. All right, send me a note that way. Marcus.Paul at starterfm.com.au. And as we always say, support the businesses that support us here at Marcus Paul in the morning. Welcome back. Wednesday morning, Marcus Paul in the morning. Nice to have your company, whether you're listening to us live on the iHeartRadio app, starterfm.com.au, on uh, uh, the TuneIn app, or maybe you've caught the Prawncast, uh, which, of course, we uh, make sure is available to you a little later in the day. And, And thank you to everybody that's left some kind comments and for your feedback, too, on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the Morning. Of course, this show is not only on air online, but um, importantly, we use social media uh, to communicate with each other. And I think that's the way of the future, isn't it? Anyway, Brian says, Marcus, I feel your shift to this network is your liberation. I feel more compelled to listen on Spotify on a daily. I'm delving into the foray of content creation and as a prospect, it's rather intimidating. Insightful conversation with Isaac Butterfield yesterday and some good advice going into it. Well, yeah, it is terrifying, but I'm having a good crack. I'm enjoying it. Robert, uh, in relation to the podcasts on Apple, yep, we're working on that, mate. We are working on that. Uh, what, what about this news? We spoke, of course, earlier in the week to my water warrior, Helen Dalton, the member for Murray down there in beautiful Griffith in New South Wales. Well, the good news came through yesterday morning that Facebook had given her back control of her own page after the Shooters Party shut it down last Thursday when she and the party, Helen and the party, parted ways. Helen wrote yesterday, just before I resigned from the party, the shooters revoked my access to my own Helen Dalton MP page, then unpublished it. This was distressing. After my father's death, I received hundreds of condolence wishes via Facebook. The shooters even cut off my access to those messages. It's been a long fight over the last few days, but some extremely helpful Facebook staff have helped me regain control of this page. Anyway, she goes on to say, as she said in our podcast and on the air the other day, uh, the reasons why she left the party. And I'll just go through that again. I think it's important to do so. In December, the National Party made, this is Helen Dalton's words, in December, the National Party made a sneaky law change that allowed big corporate northern basin irrigators to take excessive amounts of water via floodplain harvesting. This meant less water would flow down the river for us. The National Party law change really disadvantaged Murray River irrigators and lower Darling communities. Shooters Party's MPs had a chance to overturn that law change in Parliament in February. But they refused to do so. They didn't even turn up to vote. Helen says, for her, that was the last straw. I couldn't stay in a party that's betrayed my electorate. I will remain in New South Wales Parliament as an independent, she said. I won't be aligning with any other party, not Labor, not the Coalition, not the Greens. I will always vote according to what my community wants. Now, Helen said that her offices in Griffith, Deniliquin, they'll remain open and her team remains dedicated to helping her constituents. So there you go. Uh, that is good news. Well done to Helen, and I'm glad she... Uh, I, I always thought she'd get access to her uh, social media page. A lot of intellectual property on that page as well. Uh, so, uh, look, I can't 
see how the shooters... I understand why they did it, I guess. You know, that are falling out, whatever. But uh, the right thing has happened here now, and Helen now has access. She's got nearly 30-odd thousand followers. But importantly, it's a, a very tangible and important link that she keeps with people in her electorate. Anyway, the podcast uh, or prawncast of my chat with Helen, who is now another independent in the New South Wales Parliament, that's up there on the Marcus Paul in the Morning Facebook page. Uh, thank you to those who uh, made some comments in re- in relation to my, uh, my chat the other day with content creator, comedian and all-round filthy dude, Isaac Butterfield. Now, many of my followers were actually a little disappointed that I spoke to him. Um, Look, I know he has a a rep. I know he's been in a spot of bother before, and I get all of that. Uh, But I think he made it pretty clear in the chat that we aired yesterday that he doesn't care. You know, he said, you know, it's not personal. He's just making comedy. And, you know, there used to be a time here in Australia where we didn't have such political correctness and we were all able to effectively laugh at each other and laugh at ourselves importantly. Anyway, uh, there were a few people who were disappointed with the fact that I'd spoken to him, but um, I'm, you know, I'm happy that I did. And um, and I'm glad that I, uh, I took the trip up to the hunter, I checked out Isaac's wonderful setup that he's got there. I mean, this is a bloke that reaches literally tens of millions of people every year across Australia and the world with his content. He's a great content creator, a pretty funny guy as well. And I had a ball, a real fun time. Now, I appeared on his Cancel Me podcast, which uh, will go up on his YouTube channel and on Facebook next Tuesday. It's not <laughs> for the faint-hearted. Uh, and, um, yeah, there's a, a few cuss words exchanged, but I enjoyed it. And we, we chatted for an hour. It was me, uh, Isaac's um, bloke, uh, Bluey, who always appears with him in his uh, council podcasts, and we just rabbited on about a whole heap of things for more than an hour. Anyway, so that'll be up online next Tuesday, and I look forward to, to seeing the final edit of it. Uh, but again, uh, if you're um, a little offended by foul language, a few Fs thrown around left, right and centre, um, then, you know, maybe give it a miss. Hello to Bianca. Bianca. Um, I think you, uh, Bianca runs a business called Barking with Bianca. Yeah, Barking with Bianca. I think she's a, uh, she looks after pooches. Anyway, Bianca, thank you for your note. I appreciate it. Uh, Also, Ben, my old sparring partner, Ben Atkinson. Uh, Ben, you are not my official spokesperson when it comes to content here on the program. And I think you just need to go and hang out with Clive Palmer and your other mates there in that party. Anyway, Ben, thank you for your note. Uh, Also, Nate Roberts, thank you for listening back to the podcast. And Malcolm Irwin who says, loving the show, mate. Uh, Marcus, when it comes to content, Isaac Butterfield is right. Okay, well, a lot of people like him as well. Probably as many like him as dislike him. All right, nice to have your company on this Wednesday morning. If you want to send me an email, be a part of the program, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au, or you can leave your comments on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the morning. Welcome back on this Wednesday morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Look, uh, regular listeners will know that I'm always banging on about the rising cost of living. Uh, But now we can add another postscript to it. Inflation could reach a 14-year high of 5% by the middle of the year, increasing the cost of living across the country. As the war in Ukraine and the floods in New South Wales and Queensland drive up the price of everyday essentials. A story yesterday in the Herald writes 
As analysis by KPMG suggested, the floods could shave 0.2 percentage points off economic growth through the current March quarter. That's a worry. AMP economist Diana Musina said there were growing risks inflation pressures were becoming entrenched and could force the Reserve Bank to move more quickly on interest rates rises. And as I touched on earlier in the week, uh, with the cost of housing, a lot of people into it up to their necks, a slight rise in any interest rates will really put people under the pump. We talked about mortgage stress. Well, imagine if interest rates head north. Prices for key commodities, including oil, gas, iron ore, coal and wheat, have all risen over the past fortnight. Uh, That's been in response, of course, to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Brent's crude lifted by almost 21% last week alone, as the Biden administration considered a ban on Russian oil imports, oil just this week, pushed above US $130 a barrel. That helps to explain why the hell we're paying so much for our petrol. The Australian Institute of Petroleum yesterday reported the national average price for unleaded petrol had hit a record 183.9 cents a litre over the past week. That is up some 3.3 cents. Comsec Chief Economist Craig James said the lift in oil prices even before yesterday's spike, was likely to push the average price of petrol in Australia to, wait for it, $2.10 a litre. Well, in some areas of Sydney, (laughs) you're already paying that for the the good juice. But uh, when they say $2.10 a litre, I guess, you know, they're talking about just the, the cheap E10 unleaded stuff. They say not only had the war pushed up prices, but floods in New South Wales and Queensland would also put upward pressure on fruit and vegetable prices. Combined, inflation was now likely to hit 5% by June. Trimmed, mean inflation was to reach 4% and could still be at 3.6% by the year's end. All these numbers. Look, the last time inflation was at 5%, was in mid-2008 when oil prices hit US $160 a barrel. Now, while the RBA might look through uh, perhaps one-off spikes in inflation, it appeared price pressures were becoming stronger and more entrenched. Inflation at 5% would also widen the gap between the increase in consumer prices and overall wages growth, which is now at 2.3%. Wage growth? Where? RBA credit card data released earlier this week suggests there is growing pressure on household budgets. Despite a reduction in the number of credit cards in January, the amount of card debt accruing interest increased for the third consecutive month. CanStar Financial Services Group Executive Steve Mickenbecker said credit card debt had also started to climb in a sign that people might be struggling with the cost of living. Well, they are. (laughs) There's no doubt about it. While inflation is climbing, economists say the impact of floods on the overall economy is likely to be muted based on the 2011 flood in Brisbane. That flood cut state final demand in Queensland by 7%, which is which was made up of made up the following quarter. But 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 back then we weren't going through a thing called COVID. Anyway, economists say given the economic importance of flooded areas, national gross domestic product is likely to take a 0.2 percentage hit in the March quarter. But that would probably be made up the following quarter due to high spending by government and households in rebuilding and replacing household items that have been destroyed by the floods. Well, I'd like to be that optimistic about it. I really would. How are you going with the cost of petrol? Let me know what you're paying. Um, Marcus.Paul at starterfm.com.au or you can leave your comments below uh, the podcast link here. Nice to have your company on this Wednesday morning.
Welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, one of the things, uh, as you know, I like to do is uh, peruse through all of the daily papers and pick out some of the uh, the best letters that are written to editors. I think that's a, a good way of getting an understanding of what people are concerned about, a, a good old cross-section of the community. And there's often hidden gems in there as well. Uh, let's start with this one from Doug. Doug writes... While we were banning plastic bags and fighting culture wars, the Chinese and Russians were drilling for oil, building coal-fired power plants and also increasing their military strength. We are a long way behind, but we have no option but an accelerated effort to catch up, especially with affordable, reliable power and stronger armed forces. This is no time for niceties, and some cherished Greens policies will have to go. But it might be either that, or start teaching the thoughts of Chairman Z and Putin in preparation for the inevitable. Well, Doug, I don't know, are you a relative of Peter Dutton? I don't think it's that bad, Doug. I, I tend to think we're going to be okay. I heard the other night uh, Jim Molan Senator Jim Molan interviewed on a, a, a radio network and he was asked a very blunt question. Should we be worried about the military might of China? To which Mr Molan, of course, with a military background, said no. If anything happens, it would be China v the USA and we'd be, you know, brought in because of our alliance, the AUKUS alliance and other key alliances we have with the United States of America. But anyway, uh, Doug, that's his thoughts. Uh, you might remember, I think it was yesterday or maybe Monday, we were talking about the uh, the fact that some schools are foregoing traditional physical education classes, allowing students instead to play chess. Well, people have had their say on that, absolutely. Doug, uh, uh, sorry, I've mentioned Doug. Joe says... With one in four children being overweight or obese, it was staggering to read that chess may be considered as part of the PE curriculum. This is not in line with the current recommendation of 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous exercise daily. Chess, like other board games and other outdoor or indoor sedentary exercises, should be limited to days of wet weather. Well, he's right. If it's raining... That's when you can pull out the board games, chess, Monopoly, whatever it is. But if the weather's fine and the fields are dry, get them out there. Get them out burning calories. Anyway, the human body was made to move. There is an old saying, a healthy body equals a healthy mind. A future medical crisis trying to deal with the myriad of medical issues because of laziness is what we can look forward to. It's a bit too late to look back and say we should have been more active when confronted with a life-threatening medical issue. And that's from Joe. And this one from Peter. Peter writes, When I was a young high school student, it did not take me long to realise that on the school oval in competition with other boys, I could neither mark nor kick a football with any sort of authority. I realised that not everyone has natural athletic abilities and went on to discover the school chess club where I learnt the game and found new confidence and self-esteem. I fail to see why the state's PE teachers are in such a tiz and so conflicted over moves to include chess and board games. Linking playing chess with childhood obesity is fatuous and simple-minded to say the least. PE teachers need to look at the big picture rather than become pawns in a much larger game. So says Peter. Look, I understand what Peter's saying. Not everybody is cut out to be an athlete. But you don't have to be an athlete to enjoy a little bit of physical exercise. You don't have to run. You can walk. You don't have to be the best at, you know, kicking a football. Just have a crack at kicking it. Uh, and chess and these indoor games, I think, should be kept separate. They are certainly, uh, they shouldn't be part of physical education because quite clearly there's no physicality involved. Anyway, I tend to disagree with uh, with what Peter says, but, uh, and look, I do support his notion that, you know, those who learn chess and, and, and exercise their mind can gain self-esteem and confidence 
in doing so. I, I completely accept and understand that. Of course that's true. Of course that's true. But how many overweight and obese intellectual giants are there out there? Probably a lot. No good being the smartest in the room if you're also the most obese and unhealthy. All right, this came through from Dr. Jack in Mossman. As northern New South Wales prepares for another wave of flooding, the question has to be asked, why is it that the 10,000 or so New South Wales SES members are almost entirely volunteers? Well, it's a good point. And this one from Margaret. Margaret writes... How many of the, quote, one in 100 year floods will it take to convince people that climate change is real and the cost of ignoring it is far greater than the value of a few coal mining jobs? <laughs> All right, there's a little of what people are saying out there in letters to the editors of various newspapers. If you want to make a point, uh, you can do so uh, on our Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the Morning, or of course, you can always send me an email. That new email is available for you today, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. Okay, welcome back. I want to talk a little about aged care and the fact that the federal governments in a, uh, well, a, a very lackadaisical and late response with announcements of cash splashes, they're trying desperately to retain aged care workers. But critics have been quick to dismiss it, saying what staff really need is a long-term pay rise. Look, the Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety's final report last year laid out a plan, as I discussed back then, to overhaul the aged care system, calling for better wages and a new national registration scheme for all personal care workers who would be required to have minimum level training. And since that report was released, unions and industry groups argue things have only gotten worse with the pandemic exacerbating funding and workforce issues. It's timely because, at the moment, the Fair Work Commission is considering a case brought forward by the unions, who, as you know, are calling for a substantial wage increase for residential and home care workers. Well, who's arguing for the pay rise? The Health Services Union and the Australian Nursing and Midwifery Federation. They've, they're the ones that have brought this case in front of the Fair Work Commission. That's the independent wage umpire, of course, who sets the minimum pay rates for different industries. The union is seeking pay rises of 25% for more than 200,000 workers. They argue pay rates in aged care don't meet the Fair Work Act's requirement for a safety net of fair minimum wages. Aged care providers also want a pay rise for their workers, but haven't specified how much. In a joint submission to the Fair Work Commission, several industry stakeholders said wages need to be competitive to attract and retain skilled workers. The federal opposition, Anthony Albanese, and I've spoken about this before, they say it would make a submission to the Fair Work Commission supporting an increase in pay for aged care workers if they get, uh, uh, win the next election. Anthony Albanese said today, or yesterday, I should say, Tuesday, why is the government not providing support for aged care workers on a permanent basis? There's a case before the Fair Work Commission where the federal government is refusing to support a submission saying they should have their pay increased. But Labor is also refusing to put a figure on how much it wants wages to rise, but they have, in fairness, consistently argued aged care workers are not paid enough. What about the federal government? Well, they've announced they'll give aged care workers across the country two one-off payments of 400 bucks. The first one this month and the next in May. Thank you very much. These are so-called incentive payments aimed at keeping staff in the workforce. The total amount paid will depend on how many hours people have worked and it includes workers in government subsidised home care and residential care. 
But Prime Minister Scott Morrison has dismissed calls to permanently increase the wages of workers and has also criticised Anthony Albanese's position on the Fair Work Commission case. Now, the Prime Minister said, I haven't heard how he proposes to fund that. I also don't know what he estimates the cost of that will be and how he would work that through. There's a process underway and we will let that process follow its course. Well, of course, we, we will have to absorb any decision that is taken there. So it's over to the Fair Work Commission now. If this case succeeds for the unions... The Commission would allow the Industrial Tribunal to raise wages across the sector by varying the award, which outlines the minimum pay rates and conditions of employment. That would mean different things for different workers at different levels, but essentially, aged care workers could see the minimum wage rise by at least $5 an hour. Now, that would see a qualified personal carer's minimum wage bumped up from the paltry $23.09 to it is now, <laughs> to $28.86 an hour on wage rates when the application was lodged. Now, looking at weekly wages, a level one aged care employee could have their week- weekly pay bumped up uh, from just over $800 to more than $1,000 a week under the union's proposal. A level six aged care worker would move from just over $950 a week to almost $1,200 a week. The case in the Fair Work Commission has been going on, of course, since 2020 and is due to have hearings later this year with a final decision due after that. Well, that's it for today. Thank you very much for your company. Thank you for listening in Demarcus Paul in the morning. Podcast will drop a little later today. Sorry, yesterday's was a touch late, but we will try each day to try and upload them for you on our Facebook pages, Starter FM and Marcus Paul in the morning by uh, around 11 at the latest uh, lunchtime. Please stay safe if you're in those flood-affected zones. Don't forget, if it's flooded, forget it. Thank you again to all of those who are working so hard. The Angels in Orange from the SES, all those volunteers, the first responders, everybody who are doing uh, it very tough at the moment and working so hard to keep us all safe during this flood emergency. Stay safe, look after those in your community, and uh, we'll chat again tomorrow. Don't forget, if you want to send me an email, new email is now available, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. Give us a like already, uh, well, if you haven't already, on the Facebook page, Starter and Marcus Paul in the morning. Throw a few bucks my way as well via Patreon, that'd be nice, just a couple of bucks a month. Yeah, so uh, I can continue to do this independently and and you and I can continue to work through the issues and talk about the uh, stories and things that matter to you. Have a great day. I'll catch you tomorrow morning from 7am here on the iHeartRadio app and Starter FM. Marcus Paul in the morning. Bye. Bye.